Hi, I'm Nathan Riley, the Holistic OBGYN. I knew that I wanted to change the maternity care model in the United States from early in residency training. I have now ventured out of the corporate medical space entirely to lend my support to this task. This podcast is a 501c3 and will feature important voices in the women's healthcare space, as well as present a more holistic approach to meeting the healthcare needs of women. If we want to see lasting structural change, then it's critical that we empower women to reclaim their vitality rather than merely treating their disease. We also need to support the reinstatement of the midwifery care model as the standard. Midwives, doulas, mothers, fathers, women, and witches, you have my support. Now on with the podcast. All right, I'm here with Rixa Freeze this time. Uh, Rixa, I know you're a PhD. You're an incredible woman. You've had a bunch of home births. You have all kinds of great things to contribute to this conversation. So I'm so excited that you agreed to do this. So thank you for coming. Um, tell everybody about who you are and how we met. Yeah, hi. So yeah, I'm Rixa. I am a Minnesota girl, grew up in and near Rochester, Minnesota. I have a PhD in American Studies. My primary field of emphasis was the history of healthcare and medicine, specifically maternity care and childbirth. My other field of emphasis in another life was environmental studies. And oh, environmental the two history. go hand in hand. They yeah, totally do. And I have this amazing essay that if you ever want to read, I think I sent it to you, Nathan. It's called um, you did. Biodynamics, Body and Soil. And it was my PhD exam essay. That I had to sit down and write in eight hours with no editing and combined those two fields together. Um, anyway, so that's kind of my background. I'm an academic. Um, I was a professor for nine years and um, I'm interested in all sorts of things relating to birth. And we met, I was looking this up almost three years ago via an email from one of my very favorite doctors besides you, Dr. Emiliano Chavira. In oh, yeah. <laughs> and he introduced yeah. us via email and said, uh, Nathan is my partner in crime. And I said, I need to join your crime syndicate. (laughs) I remember that part. We met in person about a year later when you came to our first breach workshop that we taught in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And then you helped organize another breach workshop in Louisville, Kentucky in 2020, right before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. The day of my, that my baby was born was the day before the workshop that I helped organize. So I think we had some local midwives that jumped in, like one Tina Brooks, uh, Brooks Roach, she jumped in and kind of mm-hmm. just flooded the scene. And we had all these great midwives there, but I didn't even get to participate. So we're going to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do it in Louisville again so I can yeah. get my hands dirty. Yeah. So that's how we know each other. We've kind of had a couple of years and, you know, all sorts of interesting places that we've met each other in. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and so we'll hear about some of your projects and how people can find m- more of your amazing work. And we'll actually, I'll get that essay from you again, and we'll link it into like a little show notes thing mm-hmm. so that people can find that. Um, yeah, you're a very special woman in this space. So again, thank you for for agreeing to do this. Um, the big question of the day before we do our big breath together is what are three w- things that you want the world to know about caring for women? And you can take it in any direction that you want. People have taken this from the position of a an academic who has studied this as a, as well as being a woman, as well as being a wife, as well as being a friend to other women. Um, and I've had other people who take it as a medical question. So there's obviously there's a wide variety of things that we should be doing. Um, but let's take our breath together. I think too okay. often people don't breathe fully into their lungs. So we're going to start our conversation off right. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, ready? Go. Mm-hmm. 
That's that great. I'm doing five of these. I'm doing five of these today and I'm going to take five big deep breaths, which is probably five more than I normally do when I'm working all day. So, mm -hmm. um, so the floor is yours, Rick. So what are three things you want the world to know about caring for women? Yeah. Let me give you a little caveat, a little background about myself. So you know where I'm coming from. So Nathan mentioned briefly, I've had home births. So I have four kids all born at home. My first was a planned unassisted home birth. So for those of you who are not familiar, that's when you have a baby by yourself without a midwife or a doctor on purpose. <laughs> my last three, I had a super hands-off nurse midwife and she basically left me alone upon my request. Besides listening into heart tones every so often, I did everything myself. And so this, the feel of it was very much like my unassisted births. And number three was actually a surprise unassisted. She didn't get there on time. Um, didn't phase me at all. I ended up having to resuscitate that baby as it turned out, but it was all fine. So wow. I come from birth grounded in my own experience of having four babies in a home setting, doing it all myself and, and really enjoying those experiences. Mm. So with that, let me get to my three points. Yeah. It's hard to talk about these things because I feel like so much has been said so eloquently and what can I possibly add that has, that is not just repeating what other people have said. And so I realize I'm drawing upon a, a body of knowledge. I'm going to repeat things. I'm going to take ideas from one place and put them in another. But these are things that just came to mind right away. And I tried not to second guess myself too much or edit it too much. I just went for it. So we're going to go with that. I love the that. First thing, <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is birth plans. And one of my favorite posts that I ever wrote when I was pregnant and I was blogging nearly daily during all my four pregnancies was this birth, was this post about birth plans. And I sat down when I was about a month away from having my third baby. And I said, Hmm, if I ever had to write a birth plan, what would I say? And I sat down and wrote this all in one go, had a lot of fun with it. And it actually came out in three versions. And I'm going to read these to you first off. Oh, please. Do. And then we'll talk about them and some of the insights that it brings to me. And these are 5% tongue in cheek and 95% dead serious when I write these things. And I think when you hear it and when I talk about it, it'll make a little bit of sense. Sure. So I wrote down, okay, I sat down. I'm here's my birth plan. So here's birth plan number one. Birth plan. Go into labor, push out a baby, nurse <laughs> the baby. End of story. I was like, yep, that's my birth plan. If you are coming from a home birth slash midwifery world, that's all you need to know. You don't need to have anything else for a birth plan because you know what that means if somebody says, this is what I want to do. Right. But then I thought, hmm, okay, let's say I need a birth plan for somebody who doesn't really know me as much. I got to be a little more specific. What does that mean? You know, when I say I'm going to go into labor and push out a baby and nurse my baby, and that's, that's my plan. Right. So then I wrote birth plan, which I called birth plan, a slightly longer version. So here goes. Go into labor, ignore it for as long as possible. Walk, sway hips, sit on the birth ball, get in the tub, repeat as necessary. Please take pictures and videos. Most likely we'll be kneeling, push out a baby, catch the baby myself, nurse the baby, end of story. So that was the slightly more detailed version, you know, because if people don't know me as well, what, what are they going to expect if they walk into the room and I'm having a baby? Yeah. And I thought, hmm, okay, what if I actually had to go into a hospital? 
where they have no idea what I do when I have my babies. I know myself super well. I know exactly how I labor and what I need for my birth. How would I actually communicate my needs to a system that has zero idea and is not really set up for my style of giving birth? That's right. Which to me is totally normal, but to most people might be very not comprehensible. They might not have ever seen anything like this. So this is where I had a lot of fun. How would I actually describe to somebody in a hospital system what this would look like? So here we go. Birth plan, hospital version. Before you touch me or do anything to me or the baby, you will discuss it with me and obtain informed consent. If I decline something, which is entirely possible, treat me with respect. I almost stopped there when I was writing the hospital version, but I thought, mm. okay, let me get a little more detailed so they really understand, you know, the specifics of what's going to be happening when they walk mm. into this room where I am theoretically in a hospital. So then I continued, you might want to know when I am in labor, I like to be left alone. If I need something, I will ask. Otherwise don't bug me. If you have a question, ask my husband or midwife first. I like to be left alone. I usually give birth kneeling or Captain Morgan style. I probably won't be on the bed. Be prepared. If mm. you want to take heart tones, you'll need a handheld Doppler. I will be moving around a lot. I'll be eating and drinking if I'm hungry or thirsty. Don't offer drugs or ask me to rate my pain. Make up a number if you have to. Mm. I catch my own babies and support my own perineum. Really? No touching me or the baby as it is emerging. Wow. When I am pushing, stay silent and calm. Feel free to prepare a soft landing surface for the baby. Baby is born, goes immediately to my chest, latches on, stays there indefinitely. Umbilical cord remains unclamped and uncut until I feel like cutting it, usually an hour after the birth. No routine Pitocin or cord traction unless I'm hemorrhaging. My placentas usually take one or two hours to be born. Don't freak out. <laughs> Feel free to take pictures or videos. That would be awesome. So there you go. That's my birth plan. Wow. Can I reflect on those a little bit? Yeah, sure. I think what's really special about you, Rixa, and I've read pretty much everything you've ever written. I, I have to admit I'm a bit of a fanboy. Oh. Um, <laughs> And I have people like Milo Chavira to thank for that because um, as a quick aside, when I started residency, I had already sort of had my doubts about being in the healthcare system. And now I'm completely out of the conventional model because mm -hmm. I realized that the language within the hospital, like what you, all of the things that you said, they're not reflected, right? in how the nurses and doctors talk to each other or their patients. So when I, when I met Milo, the very first day of my intern year, he sat us down and gave us a lecture on the physiology of oxygen delivery to the baby um, from the outside to the end. And it was a very basic reminder of the physiology of the maternal fetal physiology. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, this is really great. But then I didn't get a lot of that after, right? Because then what, what actually happens in your training is you're actually trained that this is how we do things. How do we have, how do we, how do we um, help the birthing person fit into the model we've set up for them, right? Of course. And, and that has led to a lot of problems. What I really, really like about your, the way that you use language is that 
I didn't feel like anything about your birth plan was confrontational. Not that it really should matter to me. However, I've also heard physicians, people that I trained with in training, they would just do the giant collective eye roll and the sigh of exhaustion when they see somebody come up, come in with a birth plan as if it's, as if it's a nuisance to them fitting you into the system, right? Mm-hmm. But there's absolutely nothing in your birth plan that actually is against the system. And, and not that anybody should worry about using that beautiful language. You could come in and it could be highlighted. It could be bolded. You could say whatever you want. It's still my job to support you. What you do such a nice job about is that I feel like physicians seeing that birth plan coming into the hospital, I feel like they would have a hard time being upset with you. You've told them everything that they need to know to care for a woman who's giving birth. Um, And they probably could apply all of that language to any other birthing person. But all we need to do is listen. Like these birth plans are, are your words. It's almost like an advanced directive. Like these are the things that I want. Just try to accommodate those things. And your job as the physician or the nurse or whatever actually gets way easier. That's actually a far less I have to do. Mm-hmm. I don't have to fit you into the model. You've actually used this beautiful language. But I mean, of course, on my from my perspective, your very first version is still all that needs to be said. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you for reading those. Um, I'm going to post that blog post as a link in the show notes, if that's okay, too. Because yeah, I think for that sure. Helpful to have. The other thing I wanted to say is you've probably seen that most hospitals now have picked up on, oh, having a birth plan is important. And you've probably seen the documents that are given to women and their partners or birthing people and their partners, which is a birth plan sort of um, rubric. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. a, check this box hit, here, check that box. Yeah, it's like a sushi menu or something. <laughs> and yeah. and it, it's almost like the language of that document itself still is like. It's like trying to get a kid to eat vegetables. They don't want to eat carrots or they don't want to eat vegetables. So you say, well, you have to eat broccoli or carrots and they still get to pick. But ultimately, you as the provider, the parent in that case, is still getting what they want. Whereas if you have written it out in prose like that, it's very, very clear how to care for you. So um, so for anybody, anybody listening, I actually think that writing out a narrative birth plan like that makes so much sense compared to these documents that... Um, I don't. I think it's really those documents that are sort of pre-populated. I think they really serve the system more than they serve the birthing person. So, exactly, that's my contribution. <laughs> hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this awesome conversation. Wanted to tell you quickly about my collaborator program. This program's for midwives, doulas, docs, birth educators, coaches, whoever. I am inviting anybody who works with women to enroll into this program for a monthly fee. And the way that it works is, let's say on Monday, you've got a patient who has some fertility issues despite working with them through an in-depth functional nutrition program. They're still unable to get pregnant. You want some insight from an OBGYN. You want me to review labs, imaging, et cetera. It's a great opportunity. Then on Tuesday, you've got a patient who, uh, let's say you're a midwife and you're caring for a a birthing person who just got some ultrasound reports and you want to know, hey, is this still a person that that you know should be considered a good candidate for home birth, for example. Um, I'll give you recommendations, I'll give you insight, I'll even tell you what I would do, right? And then Wednesday you might have a completely different question. So this is a way to keep your patients out of the conventional model if desired and keep them on track for home birth if that's what they desire. Um, or it may just help you better support them if they have to go in for a C-section or whatever else. So 
There's going to be two levels. There's going to be the silver level, which will allow you that access if you want to go for the gold level. The gold level will include a weekly live Q&A video conference peer review session with all gold level members, including me. Um, and you're going to find some of the nation's best midwives there. And the opportunity here is that we're all engaged in a, an hour-long conversation. It will be recorded. If you miss it, you can check it out later through the website. And we're going to be able to post questions and as a group discuss and, and sort of, I don't know, collaborate together as to how to best manage and answer those questions. Um, and of course, I'll be there to provide the allopathic OBGYN insight as well. So, um, so that's my collaborator program. When you lock in a, a rate, a monthly fee, that fee will never change for you. Although I will say that the price of this program is probably going to go up as I've had increasing numbers of people reaching out and super interested. So check it out. All the details will be at BelovedHolistics.com. And you can send me questions through the website as well if you need any further clarification. And I think that just about does it. Let's get back to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And if you take the, the, you know, the checklist that they give you and just check yes or no, you're still accepting their framework. Mm, that's exactly as, right. As, exactly right. As the framework. I'm saying, no, I'm rejecting your framework. My framework yeah. is really my framework is ask my permission before you do anything and respect me if I say no. Honestly, Amen. that's all I need. Right. And that's all anybody right. should need ever. Which gets me to point A of, of point number one, because of course I couldn't come up with three. I have one A and <laughs> because I had too many things. One A one, one A two. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but point A is that if you assume that every woman coming into a maternity department is a victim of trauma, what you know, sexual trauma, sexual abuse, some kind of abuse or trauma, and treat her accordingly, that's actually an ideal way to care for everybody coming in. Oh, amen. Amen. And my basically the beginning of my hospital birth plan is trauma informed care. Let me reread amen. that really quickly. Yeah. The first two lines. Before you touch me or do anything to me or the baby, you will discuss it with me and obtain informed consent. If I decline something, which is entirely possible, treat me with respect. That's all I want. Mm. That's everything mm. I want. Mm -hmm. And if that's the standard of care, all of a sudden, all of the problems that women are coming away with, with trauma, traumatic births, with PTSD, with having flashbacks, I've had mm -hmm. a lot of trauma as a birth attendant, specifically being a doula in the hospital system. When my friends and clients are basically being traumatized and coerced and having things done against their expressed refusal we could eliminate all of that in one go by simply just doing that. And I wanted to bring up something that Hermine Hayes Klein wrote really briefly. She had this amazing blog post called When Your Lawyer Is Your Doula. Oh, yeah. That's a great, thing. great it's, piece. It's so good. And I just want to read one short paragraph. She sure. talked about being a doula slash lawyer for this one client who had a history of previous trauma. And she explained it like this. She said, just imagine that you're a staff member and here is what you should do for everybody who comes in. So this is what Hermine is saying. If your team could imagine a bubble around M's body, M is her client, of three to four feet, please do not enter that bubble with any part of your body or any object until you have looked her in the eyes, communicated about why you are proposing to enter the bubble, provided her with as much information as she wants about the risks and benefits of her options, 
and asked her if she is comfortable with you coming into her personal space to do the thing. Mm. Then mm. really look at her, pay attention and listen to her. Only if you are sure that she is comfortable with you coming into the bubble, should you enter. Wow. Pretty simple right there. <laughs> it's so easy. That's the thing. We don't need to have these crazy long, you know, book length manuals on trauma informed care when really all we need to do is simply just do those little things. Yeah, that's right. It's really quite, actually quite easy. And it's so gratifying, I think, as the attendant too, when you just say, may I do this? Do I have your permission? Who knows what it is? Um, even just to touch you. I love I love seeing people model that when they say, may I touch you? And I try to model that whenever I'm interacting with, with pregnant women. You know, um, there's this thing that we need to do. What do you think about it? Are you okay with it? And can I give you enough space and time so you don't feel any pressure from me? So you feel like you can make this choice yourself and then just leave them alone and let them make the choice. It's like so easy anyway. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's trauma-informed care should be the standard for all women. Yeah. I really agree. The other point I want to make regarding birth plans, notice my birth plan. I like to be left alone. That's my style. Just leave me alone. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't do anything. And I'll tell you if I need something. I'm really, really good at saying, hey, I need this. <laughs> if not, just leave me alone. But the problem is in our maternity care system, we are abandoning women and we are not leaving them alone enough. And let me explain. Mm. So we haven't learned how to leave women alone appropriately to actually allow the physio physiology of birth to unfold as it needs to. We have a perfectly designed system to interrupt the birth process as much as possible and to disrupt the hormones that happen that facilitate labor as much as possible. So ironically, we're simultaneously not leaving women alone enough but we're also abandoning women massively so. And this gets to my work with breech birth. We abandon women and leave them with no options if they have an unusual situation, such as a breech baby, such as mm -hmm. twins, such mm -hmm. as a desire for a vaginal birth after cesarean. So we haven't learned how to leave women alone, yet we're abandoning them. And what we need to do is flip that. We need to never abandon women. Nobody should ever feel like I have nobody who can take care of me because my baby is breech, for example. Yeah. But we also need to learn how to actually leave them alone and stop pestering them. <laughs> yeah, so it's almost like it's it's like this it, these two extremes. You either are doing everything. Everything is in these two hands or mm -hmm. hey, hey, you, you came in from help, you don't want my help, fine. And it ends yep. up being this very divisive relationship that develops thereafter. No wonder even normal physiologic birth, as we would say, healthy mom, healthy baby, which I hate that phrase, but because it loses so much of the, the luster of, of this dynamic. But, but when we, when we um, adhere to that doctrine too closely, we end up, um, I don't know, we end up uh, leaving women feel, feeling traumatized, even if they had the healthy baby, healthy mom mm -hmm. thing happen, you know, like there's far yeah. more to this. So I appreciate that. I, I appreciate what you're saying, Rixa. It's, this is why I had you here. <laughs> um, I, I want to move on to point two because we're running yeah, a little short on time. So, uh, let's, let's move on to your next point. So the first one was birth plans are everything. We're going to link all that stuff in the show notes. What's, what's the second thing you want the world to know? I call it spend time with the other in my mind, capitalizing the word other, right? Um, specifically here, I'm thinking about if you're part of the hospital system or the home birth system, mm. 
especially if you're part of the hospital system, because you've probably never experienced a home birth or have any idea about what goes on in a home birth. And it's not just about the home birth, but it's about being in a birth setting where everything about the physiology of birth is facilitated. Mm-hmm. And it's such a radically different way of understanding this process. And so when I say spend time with the other, if you're a maternity care provider, especially if you're in a hospital setting and haven't had any exposure to out of hospital birth, seek out any way you can to know more, to connect with the providers, uh, to go to births with mm-hmm. some of these midwives in your community, to meet with the parents. Um, I actually had invited an OB to attend my last birth. He wasn't able to make it. But you know, if there's parents out there who are willing to invite doctors to their births, just so they can see what it's like. Because I think most physicians who are trained in a hospital setting assume that birth is the same at home minus all the safety equipment. And so that scares them because all they're thinking is their experience of birth, which is in a very medicalized context, minus anything that would make it safe. So of course, a lot of people really freak out when they think about home birth, when in fact, birth is not at all the same event in a home setting. It really Mm -hmm. isn't. but if you haven't ever seen it and understand it very understandably, so you would be really wary of it. So that's why I said, really find opportunities to spend time with the other, the group that you don't understand and don't get. The advantage of being a home birth attendant or an out of hospital birth worker of any sort is that you usually know the hospital system. You interface with it quite often. You might've even had your own babies there or you help out clients. So you have the advantage of knowing their turf and your turf more so than the hospital-based people who honestly will not know much about your turf at all. So again, um, if you can't find ways to go to births with your local midwives, but I think you might be able to, if you show that you're a really cool physician, even say, Hey, I'm a doctor here. I want to know what you guys want. Could we have some informal meetings, maybe a potluck dinner, you know, or go to the park or whatever it's COVID and say, could you just tell all the local home birth moms and midwives that I just want to meet them and like hear what they want from me as a doctor. What can I learn from you? Yeah. Like do something oh. as easy as that. Just get to know them and ask them how you can be a better doctor. I think you'd be Isn't amazed. That, that, that's that's a great advice for just being a human as well, right? Like if if there's some group of people or type of people or whatever that practice things that you're not familiar with and you want to understand and you want to actually uh, be more, co- you know, uh, foster a more cohesive society, you need to actually know the people that that you've, you know, you see stones being thrown at you know it's Mm -hmm. and i mean i mean literally and metaphorically uh like it it, just try to understand people just i mean this is it's sort of like at the the heart of of empathy like is there something that we is there there, is there more that we actually have in common than we don't have in common because i mean Mm -hmm. if if a doctor is going to give birth like you know a female OBGYN or whatever and they read your first birth plan are they going to say this is complete lunacy? Of course not, because that's how they would want to be treated as a person. Mm-hmm. So, so just asking, I mean, when I started attending home births, I, I actually, Stu Fishbein took me to my first and it was like, oh, he was like, here's where you practice the art of doing nothing. <laughs> and you just stay out of the way, out of that bubble that Hermine mm-hmm. describes. And Hermine's also a very, very close friend of mine. So, um, um, so yeah, that's, that is awesome. That is awesome, awesome advice. Yeah. And how about your third point? Um, gosh, man, you you brought you've like really killed it with these three points. Good. Let's. I'll 
just step out of the way. (laughs) My third one is what I call there's a freedom to knowing less. And this comes from a birth that I attended a couple weeks ago. Ironically, it was an asynclinic military presentation. And I was just listening to your podcast. I'm halfway through it when you were talking with the Czechs. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. And you were talking about an asynclinic presentation there. Yeah. The wife had a really difficult birth. So I was like, oh, what's the, you know, just the irony of I was actually painting this morning, you know, getting ready, um, listening to your podcast as I was kind of reflecting on what I was going to say. And you were talking about this asynclinic birth. So let me just tell this story briefly, um, very briefly. So long story short, a friend of mine called me. And she was pregnant and we had kind of really vaguely talked about maybe be, me coming to her birth. She was planning a home birth after a traumatic hospital birth of breach breach twins. That was vaginal, but traumatic nevertheless. And I said, sure, you know, let me know. And then didn't hear much as far as specifics. Then all of a sudden I got a call. Rixa, I'm in labor. I'm having my baby come right now. Okay. So three minutes later, I was, I was in an Uber, had that off to her. And it turned out to be this incredibly long, incredibly difficult birth. I got there about 18 hours into it. She was having back labor for crazy long, horrible back labor. It was so weird. It was the weirdest labor I've ever seen. And I'm sure, you know, usually you can kind of tell how far along they are just based on Mm. what they're doing, how they're acting, how they're vocalizing. And I had thought that I was a pretty good judge of this. And this labor was so weird. And it just kept going and going. And she was like desperate. She was, she'd had 15 hours of back labor at that point with no break from the pain at all. And she'd never felt anything like this. I mean, her first labor, she, she labored, you know, she labored all the way to 10 centimeters and the hospital forced her to have an epidural, but it was like nothing compared to that. So long story short, we keep going, we keep going, we keep going. It's 34 hours. Um, you know, there's no midwife, which I also didn't know until I got there. I'm like, oh, okay, well, unassisted birth it is. Let's go. Okay, great. Um, not that that phases me, but just that it was just another thing that was interesting. And I kind of knew that by default, I would be responsible for her medical care if anything mm-hmm. happened, because I was the one who knew what to do, kind of to, to, to a certain degree, right? I had yeah. training in neonatal resuscitation. I didn't have any tools with me. I had nothing to, you know, manage a hemorrhage or whatever. I didn't, I was just coming in with my two hands as a friend, but then all of a sudden I was kind of knew that if anything happened, I had to be responsible more than a friend would be. So that was a little bit interesting for me. Turns out very long birth short, short, um, baby was born after so much working and coaxing and encouraging and trying a million things that usually I would never suggest. I'm so hands-off usually. And this one, I was way hands-on and I was like, this is so weird, but she needs it. Mm. And she's pushing for about 10 hours, which, you know, and it was just so weird. But anyway, baby came out was asynclitic, like severely. So like this and military based on where the molding was on the head. Um, Baby was fine. And as soon as I saw that baby, I'm like, Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> it was, it makes, it's so, asynclitic births are weird. And I talked yeah. to some midwives after and they're like, yeah, all my asynclitic babies pushing for eight, 10 hours, weird labors, weird patterns, nothing makes sense. But okay. When I was in the middle of this, not knowing anything about what was going on with the baby, because we, nobody was doing vaginal exams. We didn't mm. have a stethoscope or a stethoscope. I had no tools to quantify the labor that you mm. usually would. And I didn't even have tools to manage a hemorrhage. I, I, I had nothing but my hands and my eyes. And I, you know, a lot of people would be, would be really scared about walking into a situation like that, 
especially, yeah. you know, not having quote unquote, a care provider present. And I just said to myself, okay, I don't know anything about the baby's status. I have no idea if the baby's alive or dead, not to assume that it would be dead, but I just have no external way of, of verifying anything. I have no external measurements. I can't tell what cervical dilation is, is effacement station. So I'm just going to like, let all that go. Cause I can't control it. It's not my responsibility to be, to ensure that outcome. I can't even tell the parents, I can't reassure the parents their baby's okay. And whenever they asked me, I said, well, I actually don't have any way of knowing how the baby's doing. All I can see is I see the mom is doing okay, but she's tired and hurts. And, you know, I would just be really honest. Like mm -hmm. I don't have the information, but because I had no way of measuring anything, I couldn't check. I couldn't verify how long she actually was pushing. This is all guesswork based on what we're hearing. It was really weird though. Mm. I didn't know how long she was dilated to X centimeters for how many hours. In a way it was freeing yeah. because I didn't have this knowledge. And as much as it would have been nice to have a few tools such as a catheter, cause she also couldn't empty her bladder for 18 hours. And mm. so of course then you worry about a higher risk of postpartum hemorrhage, all these different things, right? So I would have liked some tools Sure, it would have been nice to have some reassurance that the baby was doing okay because I just didn't know anything, right? There's there's no other information besides if she's feeling the baby move. So that would have been nice, sure, but there was also an immense freedom in not having a number that we were then having to measure by. Oh, you've been eight centimeters for eight hours. Oh, you've for sure been pushing for 10 hours because we thought she would have, She we thought she had been, but it was also such a weird contraction pattern with her pushing that we still weren't really sure if she was ever feeling an urge to push. Mm. But because all we had was just labor and just being there Holding and space, yeah. just having to wait for things to play out. And all we could do was just be patient and mm. continue encouraging her and supporting her. It was actually an immense amount of freedom. And I honestly don't think that this birth could have happened vaginally in a hospital. And I actually think that with most home birth midwives, I think it would have been, especially in France, this is where it was. Um, they're highly regulated and they're not willing to kind of step outside their their comfort zone a lot of times with their home births. You know, I think she would have been transferred to a hospital by mm. a good deal of even highly experienced midwives. And this is not to tell like, I, Hey, I'm so amazing. It's just to say, because I didn't have any of the objective information that we usually have to measure the labor, to define the labor. I then had the freedom to not to worry about it. That wasn't my responsibility to worry about it. I no. couldn't ensure the baby's safety in that sense because I, I, I simply couldn't, they weren't, I was not there for that. And ironically, it led to probably the best outcome for this birth that it could yeah. have had. And so that was a real learning thing for me because yeah. I was uncomfortable at times in the sense of just not knowing anything about the fetal status, for example. Mm. And, you know, you don't know what's going to come out. And when the baby finally came out, you know, I was hoping the baby would be fine. Yeah. And I had no other yeah. way of knowing besides just having to wait. Yeah, we try to quantify everything. It's a bit of this, it's it's a part of this or tendency to reduce the human experience to numbers, right? But you can't measure a lot of things. You can't you can't measure experience. You can't measure love. You can't measure consciousness. You don't cut open a person's heart and find love. Um, and, and a part of what you're describing threaded in there is the, the phrase trust birth, 
right? And that's not magical thinking that everything is going to be okay. It's just let's, we have to hold space for this process to unfold, however it's going to unfold. Um, and you're right. We, we don't, we can't always assure, you know, the, the, that the baby's doing okay. But even in the hospital, we can't assure that baby's doing okay. Um, but I think what's lovely about that story is, is that, okay, if I don't have the tools to, to, to determine fetal status or whatever, to give some reassurance, what can Mm -hmm. I do? Let's just hold space. Let's support the process and trusting in the process ultimately allowed your client to, your friend to have this, have this experience at home. And, um, and had something bad happened, you know, like a, the baby wasn't well, then we would have to be supportive. We would have to support what that looks like, you know? And I think, unfortunately, we actually don't yeah. support people very well when bad things happen. We don't really have the language or the, the emotional intelligence to do that. Um, but that certainly isn't a reason for us to try to intervene and control a process that we know we can't control. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Rixa, that you have just dropped some knowledge bombs over here. I am so happy that you um, were able to share so candidly. So thank you so much. Oh yeah, you're welcome. I hope it was useful. <laughs> oh my gosh, I I'm so excited for people to to listen to this interview. What what is it that people that you'd like people to know about finding you, um, and what you're working on? Yeah, so. You can find me via my nonprofit that I run called Breach Without Borders. So it's simple to find breachwithoutborders.org. And, you know, I, I brought Breach up earlier because that's kind of my thing right now. But yeah. we our, our main focus is to retrain providers. So every woman who has a breech baby has an option of a vaginal birth if she wants it. Because right now that's not the case for about 99% of women in the United yeah. States. And it's a real shame. Yeah. So you can find me there. If you're a healthcare provider, we have all sorts of training options. We have fully online ones that you can do at any time. We have hybrid courses. So they combine the online courses with hands-on training that we're doing around the US and hopefully around the world when COVID lets up a little bit more. Um, So you can find me there and you can read all about all my breach projects over there. I won't talk too much more about that, but that's my passion right now. You can also find me on my blog called Stand and Deliver. And I'm sure you'll link to that in the show notes. Mm I started blogging when I was pregnant with my first baby due to a lot of family being uh, very worried to put it mildly about my plan to have an unassisted birth. And I get it. I mean, that was like not really conceivable at the time for my family members. Right. Right. So I started blogging because it was a way of, of explaining why I was doing things in a non-confrontational manner. And if they wanted to read about it, they could. Um, so you can read all of my birth stories. You can read the evolution of all my thinking over the years. A lot of stuff there. I mean, it's what, for almost 15 years of blogging now. Um, ever since the COVID-19 pandemic started, I actually have been writing every day. Um, so I post it both on my Facebook page and on my blog. So you can follow my interesting life, which is mostly in France right now, but sometimes in the US, um, especially during pandemic life and all the things we are going through. So there's that as well. Um, One thing I've been doing a lot of recently, which dominates my blog and my Facebook page is home renovating. So if you're into that stuff, we're (laughs) renovating a 15th century apartment in medieval old Nice and doing it all ourselves. So, you know, I have paint splatters all over myself, which I don't know if you can see Nathan, but I can see them everywhere, you know, and I can see spots. Yeah. (laughs) Even through the camera. 
So, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, I probably go into way too much detail about all the different things we're doing every day and, you know, how I'm learning to sandblast or how I'm learning to work with lime and mortar or whatever. So that's awesome. That's kind of my yeah. other life besides maternity care and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, you are a kind of a renaissance woman in so many ways. Um, there's some there's some little like fourth point in there about you not just being this academic who's done all this extraordinary work in maternity care. You're also a sandblaster <laughs> and a painter. Oh, yeah. Like you do it all. You're the every woman. Well, I appreciate uh, you so much, Rixa. Um, um, much love from Louisville. I'm excited to see you again um, sometime in the near future. Yeah, me too. Take care. Have a nice day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so, so much for listening to today's episode. Um, I'm so glad you're here and in alignment with our mission here at the Holistic OBGYN. We are a 501c3. We work by donations. So if you'd like to make a donation, go to belovedholistics.com. You'll also be able to find out more information about um, today's guest and anything else that was mentioned on the show. You can also find out more information about the collaborator program that I mentioned earlier. And again, whether you're a midwife, a doula, a birth educator, a lactation specialist, an, o- an OBGYN, a- an MD from another specialty, if you need help and support from an allopathic and also holistic-minded OBGYN who's got training in a whole other bunch of stuff we never learned in medical school, please come and find me on the website for a very reasonable monthly fee You'll be able to interact with me anytime you need some support in the field. And if you want to join the gold level, you'll also have some help with prescriptions. You'll have some help from other people in the space, other midwives, other holistic lifestyle practitioners um, through our weekly live video recorded peer review sessions. I'll of course be there and I'll be able to give my insight, but more importantly, we're going to be holding space for the midwifery model of care and all of the beautiful attributes and contributions that the many great midwives in our country have made to this field and and should continue to make and, and lead in this space. That does it for today. We will see you next time here on the Holistic OBGYN. Take care.